This episode of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash battlefrontpodcast to help support this show. We're also brought to you by our PayPal supporters, paypal.me slash tie-dye-sheep, T-Y-E-D-Y-E-S-H-E-E-P. Pick your class and learn your battle point because it's time for the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. Welcome to episode 103 of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. I'm your host, Sage Goodwin, joined by scientific illustrator and all-around pe- uh, prequel master, Glendon Mello. Hello. In this episode, we'll be going over why gamers like the prequels more than the average moviegoer, prequel tidbits in Battlefront 2015, and much more. Let's get started. So I was thinking we get started with uh, the prequel t- uh, tidbits in Battlefront 2015, and sure. this the, uh, you came to me and you're like, "Hey, I've got some ideas uh, to talk about the podcast," and I was like, "Sure, let's do this." Um, so, uh, what what are some of the prequel tidbits in Battlefront 2015? Well, that's the thing. Like, uh, there's um, you often see the outcry on Reddit that. Uh, um, and certainly this isn't a universal opinion, but you do hear people sometimes say that um, since Disney took over, the prequels are getting ignored or, or left behind. Yeah. And uh, and I can see why that perception came out there after Clone Wars was sort of abruptly canceled in favor of Rebels. and um, It seemed the like they were doing that. Yeah. And, you know, the prequels are not universally loved or um, uh, seen as, as, you know, in the same sort of glowing light that you have with the original trilogy. So, um, so, you know, people definitely had that perception that, okay, Oh, look, you know, here comes, you know, Dice's battlefront and, and it's only original trilogy, but they did pepper through the whole thing, a whole bunch of like nice little nods that the prequels existed. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's mostly weapons and tech. Um, you do get the Zabrak soldier, which is, is, you know, having that skin is, uh, one quick one because they never exist in the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, there's two different types of shields. So you've got the uh, the <laughs> everybody's favorite bubble shield. Uh, <laughs> Activate party. your personal shield. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, you know even in the descriptions, uh, I, th- I believe it mentions that it's uh, based on Droidica technology, and it has that look. It has that same look as the Droidica um, shield, and then uh, which is very different from the shield that Leia uses, which comes out in that sort of green organic looking kind of light um looks a bit like a like you know plant stem or something coming up which is much more like what the gungans were using in phantom menace yeah um and then you know there's other little bits that are maybe more expanded universe um like the scatter gun um being brought back from republic commando and uh and then i mean even the uh the dioxys grenade you know, again, it's a Phantom Menace uh, yeah. callback to uh, when the Jedi were, were about to be gassed and just held their breath, you know, as Jedi can do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Why uh, can't I do that? What's that green stuff coming out of the vent? <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers, maybe I'll hold my breath. But uh, anyway, it, uh, so, you know, I mean, these are really, I mean, in some ways, these are kind of small things. It wasn't like there was a huge Clone Wars map. Um, but uh, it's still... I think I think it really did lend um, that same sort of used universe feeling that Star Wars is so uh, famous for, 
it still gave you these little bits, you know, and, and some of them are nice little nods too, like the idea that uh, Leia is using a shield based on Gungan technology when her mother's from Naboo. It's Oh um, yeah, that is that is awesome. It, it kind of raises questions, you know. I mean, <laughs> does Leia know about her mother when she's using the shield? You know, like it, it kind of, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's an interesting. Um, uh, I like stuff like that when I'm playing the game because it, it kind of, uh, um, even in the middle of the thrill of the game, you you've still got this little, wow, this universe is more connected and uh, and yeah. so much bigger than it needs to be. You know, uh, like uh, with the um, like uh, older video games, they had. Like they were more um, standard, so it was like they were working in boxes. But they did add certain things, like there was uh, blood stains on that wall, so you knew something happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Like um, in Battlefront Two, you have uh, on Naboo, you have all the um, civilians running away. You've got these yes. actions that are taking place in the background that are completely unnecessary, but they uh, make you feel more immersed in the world and kind of like, oh wow, wow, this is actually mm-hmm. happening. Even all the astromechs that are racing around on Theed, yes, in Theed. You know, I mean, um, at first I was like, okay, that's sort of an odd choice, and I was like, no, wait a minute, you know, Padme's ship um, when they were escaping. Uh, from Naboo in Phantom Menace, I mean, she had a whole little bay there filled with R2 and, and a bunch of other astromechs who met their untimely end uh, <laughs> trying to repair the, the royal ship. But, uh, but you know, I mean, it was definitely something where, yeah, Naboo, they, they use astromechs on Naboo. You know, like that's not a... Uh, um, yeah, that was totally appropriate to sort of throw them around the environment, uh, much more so than it would be, say, around, you know... Um, Kashyyyk. We didn't see a whole bunch of astromechs on Kashyyyk. So, um, so it makes a lot of sense, and it's a, it's a nice nod. It's a nice way of saying that you know the the developers and the the level designers um, understand the movies very well and did their homework before they sat down and said, "What are we going to populate this with?" And uh, so uh, that type of that type of quality, I really appreciate that in Dice's games. I played the old Pandemic games. I played the heck out of those. Um, they were you know, I mean, the first, the original Pandemic Battlefront was a was a system seller for me. I got an Xbox just for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, but I have to say though, as a fan, and this will probably enrage some listeners, but I like Dice's version a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It's, uh, it's just my opinion, but it's uh, you know, it's so fun. It's uh, it just really feels like you're you're right in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I'll, I'll... I'm not going to say all of the people that say that haven't played, but a lot of them are seeing it through the lens of their childhood or mm-hmm. um, nostalgia. So it's like, oh, yeah, th- those mechanics were perfect as I remember them, but they aren't. We have uh, PlayStation 2 with um, Battlefront 2 on there, and the mechanics aren't great. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a fun game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they did pack a lot of stuff in there. I mean, um, I have an Xbox 360 that... Uh, still has the backwards compatibility, so I can still pop in the two of them, um, even though they're original Xbox games. And, uh, you know, and I've played them. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff in those games. And the second one in particular, I mean, the second one really felt full, partly because they brought over, you know, I think a little over half the maps from the first game. Yeah. Um, they seemed to leave out any of the ones that had um, spaceships on the map. So... Like you had like the uh, the plains of Naboo, which had like a a Jedi starfighter on one hill, 
And uh, they did not bring that from Battlefront 1 to Battlefront 2, but then they did bring Feed and then just made it nighttime. So they, you know, they, it was packed with a ton of stuff, um, a lot of weird modes. Um, the hunt modes are a fun thing in Battlefront 2. Yes, they are. The original Battlefront 2. Um, except I have to say that the joke that they sort of put in with the, uh, the Ewoks versus Biker Scouts, <laughs> the fact that you can never, ever win as the Biker Scouts. <laughs> like, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not that bad a player, but it's actually impossible to beat them. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's... it's the so Ewoks are too bad. strong with the Force. Yeah. I mean, they're just whipping those little uh, rocks and stuff at you the whole time. And uh, But... But I mean, there was a lot of fun mechanics in those in in those games in the pandemic games, and I, mean, I played so many hours of those. I don't even know how many. Um, and all offline at the time. I wasn't an online gamer back then. Yeah. But uh, um, but at the same time, Dice's work has um, uh, it has a a love and a care to the uh, uh, the worlds of Star Wars that um, obviously the graphics couldn't match back then what they can now, but. But also just, uh, you know, uh, every little nook and cranny, they're paying attention. And, um, you know, when I watched uh, Narwhal Dave's uh, video talking about, you know, uh, the secrets of Takodana, you know, and he went through the fruit on the tables. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) so, and it's like, okay, like, you know, Dice actually has gone to the length of, there's uh, some fruits we recognize, and then there's also some fruits that have appeared in various Star Wars properties from cartoons to movies and that are not real. And they've bothered to, you know, somebody sat there and modeled those and put them in the game. And it's, uh, <laughs> um, that's, that's awesome. You, know, so. you, you see those fruits on that table? I made those. <laughs> <laughs> I made those fruits. Yes, someone so, can say that. <laughs> yeah. So it's... Uh, um, Anyway, so uh, yeah, I think the um, I, I think the prequels were not really ignored in the first one. I think it was, uh, you know, I think they had a, a nice way of trying to bring some prequel technology into the games. Um, even Sullust in the uh, Outer Rim DLC, um, it wasn't Mustafar, but it used pretty similar technology to what we saw. Um, or well, well, not even so much as Mustafar. It used pretty similar technology to the Droid Factor at Geonosis. Um, yeah, those big cauldron buckets up by the ceiling, and because um, that's where you want hot lava is up by the ceiling and some cauldron <laughs> buckets. <laughs> and, uh, Just makes sense, you know, of course. So running freely uh, through the floors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just leave a little channel here. So <laughs> I, I I love what they got to do with Solace because it was one of those worlds that you've heard about through Star Wars since the beginning. Like mm-hmm. in the books, in the movies, in the comic books, like you hear of Solace and then uh, we get to see it for the first time expanded um in a battle for a game, which was really cool to uh, get that opportunity and you can definitely tell that mm-hmm. they're they they knew it was a big deal to get that right. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's exactly it. That they um, they I think they really wanted to leave their mark on the Star Wars universe, so that going forward, here's a prop, you know, here's a, a planet mentioned in the movies, and we've seen an alien from it with uh, with Nee Nub, and you know they wanted to to really give it a sense of place. And the fact that we saw a few different environments there, because it's not just, you know, one map, 
I mean, there's the giant, you know, Walker Assault uh, supremacy map, but then we also got, um, uh, you know, we got the Sulfur Fields, which is one of my favorites. It's yeah. That the eerie sort of balloonist that sort of turquoise to the the water, and uh, and then also, you know, there's um, the evening. Um, at the Imperial uh, installation, I can't remember the name of the map off the top of my head right now, but there's the the smaller sort of cargo sized map um, that's like a hangar bay on Celest, and uh, it has like a nice sort of twilight or early morning kind of a feeling to it. Yeah, and you know the fact that they based them on Iceland, and uh, you know, and and went to another real place and another real environment and said like, let's look at this and recreate this and make it part of Star Wars, and like. You're talking about them leaving a mark on Star Wars. Like Criterion developed the official canon design of the cockpit of an X-wing. Like when you see an X-wing in the movies, it's been they've uh, they've been looking at the ones that Criterion's made. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's a that's an incredible thing, right? Like it's um, to be able to. Uh, uh, there's only a few instances of that even in Star Wars history, I think. Um, Timothy Zahn came up with the name Coruscant, if I'm correct about that. And I remember him saying that, because uh, George Lucas wanted to call the center of the galaxy something like Had Abaddon. And uh, Timothy Zahn then, um, up until then, it was only known in books as Imperial Center. And Zahn called it Coruscant. And Lucas, in one of the interviews, you know, again, trying to remember a few years back here, but uh, mentioned it and just sort of said, well, you know, this name's out there, so we'll use it. And it, it was kind of, it wasn't his first pick for a name um, for that planet, but he ended up, you know, going along with it. Timothy Zahn said a, a really funny thing years and years ago before Disney uh, uh, wiped away the canon. He sort of said that, you know, the thing with Star Wars is anytime you make a new Star Wars story, um, you're kind of like kids playing with your toys in the driveway. And when George Lucas decides to back the car out and make a new movie, <laughs> some of your ideas are going to get run over. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and it, it, I, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember the exact quote, but, but uh, um, you know, he was an author who understood, okay, I'm writing in this universe and I'm privileged enough to create new characters and stories. But um, ultimately the, you know, the creation of, of new canon uh, material is going to get determined by George Lucas. So, you know, he, Zahn had his own ideas about clones and how clones were made. And then, you know, George wanted to make the, the prequels and said, well, here's how it happened. <laughs> you know, and it, it kind of, it didn't necessarily contradict, but it didn't jibe well with, uh, with Zahn's vision. Either. So it, it kind of, uh, um, it was a good quote, you know, and, and uh, I do think that's something where Disney was very intelligent about how they, decided to go about um, dealing with old canon and new. When I first heard it, I was like everybody. I was like, what? They're wiping away all these years of books I've read? <laughs> you know, um, what a waste of my time. <laughs> As if I hadn't enjoyed them. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it made sense. It was like, okay, it's just going to be, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels and the movies and then new material that we make sure matches up. And it's been actually quite refreshing, you know, I, I find. Um, there was no way to make a movie set 30 years after Return of the Jedi and have it match all of those books. You exactly. Know? Like, <laughs> you know, so, Where? <laughs> like, they had every minute covered. 
um, like literally the, the party on Endor, you know, and they had to take off for Bakura to stop the, uh, you know, the reptile, hypno- you know, hypnotizing alien guys. And, <laughs> was, uh, you know, they, there wasn't a spare moment. Um, everything was written down. But, you know, they've also been, then brought back some characters. They brought back Thrawn and they've, you know, everybody's wondering if Mara Jade's going to show up at some point. And, you know, so they, they aren't just throwing it all out. They're saying, OK, there's still good ideas here. So what can we do to bring them back? But um, so I, I think it's been a it's actually been pretty exciting that way. Um, you get some really new, really good new stories that are more coherent and I think a little higher quality overall. Um, and then uh, you still get to see some of your favorite expanded universe characters pop back in. I'm getting pretty far astray from the game right now, though. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, guest episodes often become Star Wars podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies, dear listeners. <laughs> After a short break, we will get into our main discussion, which is why gamers like the prequels more than the average moviegoer. Cool. You're listening to the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast, a podcast from the Tie Dye Sheep Entertainment Podcast Network, a network dedicated to bringing content as great and as weird as the hosts. If you'd like to support us on a Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash battlefrontpodcast. You can donate $1 up to $10, and we have different tiers for that. So if you'd like to support the show and get some exclusive content, because we'll be doing bonus shows there, you can support us through that link. And at $1 per month, you have the ability to come on the podcast if you so desire. So why gamers like the prequels more than the average mover goer? And like when I, when you uh, contacted me through DM, I was like, okay, this is this is the thing that drew me. And I was like, that is an, a really really good topic because like uh, uh, my my goal of the podcast is kind of like to talk about the broader things of Battlefront. Like we don't really cover mm-hmm. news in a uh, frequent manner just because like it is news and it will expire uh, shortly after that. So this is one of those things that's like, oh, it's going to be an evergreen topic. And it relates to Battlefront and uh, the prequels being added to Battlefront 2 and how gamers will react to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think the prequels are, I mean, they're an interesting thing. And, and, uh, I think they hold a, a very misunderstood place in pop culture. Um, one of the reasons why I thought I might even contact you was um, uh, last summer I decided to do what I usually do on Twitter and bug my friends. And uh, about once a year, I'll just throw out there and say some things about why I like the Star Wars prequels. And, um, you know, most of my friends will shut me down a little bit and like, <laughs> back off. And, uh, you know, there's only so many times you can get people dumping on you for it. But um, there's been that popular trend on Twitter of saying, uh, for every like, I'll tell you something about myself. For every like, I'll tell you a favorite book. So one night I was at home and not doing much. My family had all fallen asleep. And I just said, all right, let's do this. One like, one cool thing about the Star Wars prequels. You know, and uh, um, very quickly within the next few days, I had thousands of likes. And <laughs> so it was, uh, it was I, I started, you know, trying to keep up. Um, in the end, the thread, I, I sort of capped it at 500. I dove back in after a couple months break and, um, and, uh, finished it off at about 500 tweets. And one of the things I even talked about in the thread, um, somewhere in the 300s, maybe, um, was that, 
um, the prequels do have a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of symbology happening there. There's a lot of um, intersections with politics and visual art and all these things that George Lucas was obsessed with, and not only him, but also his concept artists. And it's a very, very visually rich trilogy. Um, because he had the freedom of CG, which, again, is often vilified by the average moviegoer, he experimented like crazy with stuff. And we see it in the droid army. I mean, they were droids. They didn't have to be bipedal humanoids um, shooting at you. They could look like a tank tread that crossed with a snail and have laser guns on its face. And, <laughs> um, you know, or, or the spider droids, which look like something out of a Hieronymus Bosch painting. They, they, you know, they're so weird. Um, and, you know, you could see that the concept artists and George Lucas and, and ILM just went to town with all these ideas. And I think what that did, um, since Star Wars has always been such a, a huge um, set of properties, um, you know, for toys and video games and everything else, it gave everybody who wanted to make a game this huge catalog of uh, models to draw from. And you see them in... in so many games that came out when the uh, the prequels were were popular at the time, and um, everything from there was that Clone Wars game a long, long time ago. Um, I think it was. I think I had it for GameCube. Um, uh, Clone Commando. Um, there's Republic Commando, but there was another one that was just called uh, Clone Wars, and it was it was not a very good art style. Um, lots of very bright purples and oranges and stuff. Um, and it had some of the big scale battles, and occasionally got to play as like Anakin and stuff. But it, um, uh, I'll see if I can dig up a link for you or something to put in the description. But it, um, you know, it, it just gave them sort of this wealth of things to draw from. This is pre-original Battlefront. This game I'm talking about. Um, and I think what happened was you had like a a generation of of kids and teens who were. Uh, not me, I was in my 20s, but, uh, but you know, who watched the prequels and were playing all these games of varying quality um, at the time. And they the quality certainly ramped up and got really nice with, I thought, with uh, Republic Commando and uh, the original Battlefront. And so all those toys in the toy box that, that the movies had created, it didn't matter that the movies had clunky dialogue or, or uh, bored you with, you know, Senate politics. Um, you got to play the games, which just dove into the action, and you got to have droids versus clones, and um, all these amazing ships. And I mean, even the even the V-wing, the V-wing is it's such an odd choice to even be in the movie. It has like uh, a few seconds of screen time at the very end of Revenge of the Sith when they're um, escorting, um, you know, Emperor Palpatine's shuttle while he's carrying Anakin's bird body back to Coruscant. And, you know, you just see them for the briefest of moments. Um, I think that one of them lands on the uh, same landing platform, so you sort of see its wings fold down. But it's not a ship that saw any action. It wasn't in any of the big action sequences. But, you know, it was kind of a everything plus the kitchen sink moment. You know, George was doing his last Star Wars movie, and so, yeah, let's throw in another ship. viewing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and uh, you know, that one looks cool, too. Let's find a spot for it. And so suddenly you get this great ship, and now we get to play in another video game. You know, and it's uh, so I think gamers, the relationship that, that uh, 
the video game players have had with the Star Wars prequels is very different from uh, moviegoers who saw them and were maybe turned off by the romance between Padme and Anakin or, or hated the ones like, you know, this is pod racing or whatever it was. Now this is pod racing. And, you know, I think video gamers have a, a different appreciation for all of the, uh, um, all of the, the world building that really went into those movies. And um, it's such a different thing when you get to play it, you know? It's kind of a... Um, look at the reactions of people on, on Reddit after uh, playing the, uh, the beta. And, yeah. You know, everybody loved playing the droids. They're hilarious. They have all these great voice lines. You Goodbye, know, good grenade. Trying, you know? <laughs> yeah, like all of those things. It's... Um, you know, and again, like people sort of thought the droids are just silly in the uh, uh, in the theater, and I mean they were meant to be, right? I mean, there's yeah. a they were the comic the relief. Scenes, uh, yeah, and there was and, a behind the scenes moment uh, in Phantom Menace where George Lucas was speaking to Steven Spielberg, who visited him, and he showed him one of the life size models of a droid, and he said, "Yeah, these are the guys that you know sort of kick off the first war, and they're not very good, which is why they they get replaced by stormtroopers." And, you know, it was sort of a George Lucas just flat out saying, like, these guys are meant to be these disposable dummies, you know, who uh, um, this this paves the way for why they needed to have clone troopers later in terms of an army. You know, it's uh, as the Camino and said, the clones are superior to droids. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, in every yeah, other so way, think, but uh, aim. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So. But I think that's, you know, I, I think that's really the, the crux of it. I think that's why video game players are so excited to see um, prequel content. And, uh, you know, and I understand people's frustration with wanting um, every notable member of the Jedi Council and, uh, you know, clone who got a name on the Clone Wars show in, in the game as a hero or a reinforcement. Um, I totally understand it. You know, I mean, again, it's such a rich world. Like, I always thought the, the design for Luminara and Dooley was one of the best. I was like, wow, yeah, look at that female alien Jedi with tattoos on her face and she's dressed like a space nun, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> like awesome. And, you know, would I love to see her in Battlefront? Sure. Um, there's probably at least another dozen characters they should do before they put her in. But, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, like uh, um, General Grievous. Yes. Like General Grievous or, uh, um, I know it's a, a, a controversial choice, but Padme as well, you know, it's, um, <laughs> just to have one of the, the big heroes on screen, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah. So, uh, you, you know, it's, I can definitely see why, uh, everybody's so amped to get the prequel content because we haven't played it in a long time. And that's the other, that's the other thing. There hasn't been a prequel game in a while. And especially uh, to the scale, like battlefront two is a gorgeous game. Like they are doing things. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be one of the prettiest games that are, that's coming out this year. Um, it, absolutely. It's, on such a large scope that we've never gotten before. Uh, we got to play it kind of in that area with the original Battlefronts, but again, they had limited technology. Um, mm-hmm. They had um, some uh, production issues. Like that game was that game was made in a year, uh, yes, using a lot right. of the same really aspects. Fast. So this well, this one's taking two years, three developers. So it, nothing to the scale has ever been done in Star Wars video games before. So, uh, especially with the prequel content, like for the longest time, fans were like, oh, now that Disney's bought them, we'll never see prequels again. Um, mm-hmm. That's not the case. Like as 
memes especially have been coming out on the original <laughs> <laughs> with, with the prequel uh, Star Wars movies. People mm-hmm. have uh, the, the prequels have become in favor with the fans once again. Absolutely. And again, I think it all just goes back to the fact that it's, um, I mean, there's some nostalgia driving it, you know, absolutely. Um, again, for me, I was in my early 20s when the prequels came out. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, that was their childhood. Um, I have a nephew. He grew up with the prequels. Uh, my kids are growing up with the sequels. You know, everybody has their Star Wars. And I think, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of people who watched and maybe played some of those games as a kid are now adults, young adults, and they're saying, you know, they want to get that rush back of flying an ARC-170 and, you know, and, and that's what, you know, again, that's partly what's driving some of the complaints about, oh, what do you mean we can't board capital ships or whatever? You know, it's, um, yeah, some of it's nostalgia, you know, and, and not all of it, but uh, um, I think the prequels just had such a, um, a huge uh, impact in terms of world building because Star Wars, we already knew was huge. Yeah. Um, you know, from the original trilogy, we got a very... You know, there was many different environments, like Cloud City and Jabba's Palace don't have a lot in common. Um, you know, it, so to go from one to the other in the span of a few hours when you're watching that trilogy is, is really something. Um, but uh, the prequels just amped it up even further. I mean, we only saw a few glimpses of Felucia. And, yeah, I like, mean... Like, like you're saying, there's so many different characters in the prequels. Like it's insane. You could make three games on all of the content that was made in the prequels. Absolutely. Yeah. Like all the little no name Jedi that you can find out through the, um, through the books that have come out. Like they never get mentioned on screen, but they are detailed in the books and the extended universe. Um, like in the encyclopedias, action um, figures, action figures. Like I know, what I know about weapons because of Battlefront, <laughs> like the the weapons of uh, Star Wars because of Battlefront. So yes, <laughs> uh, uh, one of our one of our friends, he's a huge like Star Wars guy, and like he knows his Star Wars, but he does not know the weapons. So I was like, hey, right. you know this weapon? I was like, wow, I can actually know something that this guy doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Battlefront's another education, isn't it? And it's, and I, I think that's part of it too. Is um, that's what's so fun about when they tie in a book like Christy Golden's or uh, uh, Alexander Freed's, you know, for the first game. The, um, it's such a fun thing because after you play the games and you're used to the handling of the ships, you know, or, or you're used to um, the noise that, you know, a gun makes, <laughs> you know, it's uh, when somebody picks one up in the book, you know, um, you're much more specific in how that plays out in your head, you know, yeah. you can you can really envision it in a whole other, a whole other way. Um, occasionally when I'm painting, um, when I do my illustration work, I often like to listen to, um, video game soundtracks. And one of the things though about that, you know, people will recommend one to me and they'll say, Oh, you got to listen to this one, this, this game soundtrack, but I've never played that game. So I have no emotional hook to it. But, um, you know, for myself as somebody who plays primarily, um, I'm a triple A game kind of person, but you know, and I, I usually play either something Star Wars related or Assassin's Creed or Mass Effect. And so listening to one of those soundtracks, um, you know, you're sort of reliving the story in your head, the emotions that you had when you played the game. And, uh, so it's, it's such a, it's such a different experience again, to, to read a book or a comic and then somebody, you know, pulls out a rocket launcher and you're like, I know what you're <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I know, know exactly that what that's going to do. <laughs> you know, so, 
Um, you know, so it, it's it's definitely a, a a fun aspect of the games that, that sort of immerses you in there. You know, I mean, Jabba's Palace. It felt humid. You know. Yeah. It. Uh, you know, <laughs> that that bathroom. <laughs> so, you don't want to run through that water. No, you don't. <laughs> and you didn't either. That was the thing. Most people tended to run around the edge. <laughs> exactly. I, I tried to stay yeah. away from that water as much as I could. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, that's the thing. I, I'm hungry for information with Battlefront 2, um, just like everybody. You know, I, I look at the Reddit almost daily and see what people have uncovered. I, you know, pay attention to EA Star Wars on Twitter. Um, but there's that also that part of me that I really hope that the developers and the marketing team are keeping some stuff from us. Yeah. Um, I would love to find out that on the mouse Eisley map, um, there's a, a part where if you do the right thing, a rancor can get loose and just cause mayhem across the map. It's probably not going to happen, but you know, I would just love to find that out on launch day, <laughs> you know, that they've, uh, they've put in some, uh, you know, real surprises for the fans. Um, and uh, that go beyond specific fruit on the table. Yeah, you know, just uh, something a little more dramatic and big. But you know, who knows? We'll we'll see what they we'll see what they've done. The, the gameplay in the beta was awfully fun. So that's why uh, our rule for leaks is like, if IGN covers it, yeah, it's okay with the cover. Like, but if it's just like a tiny leak, uh, someone one broke their in uh, NDA. I was like, I don't want to cover mm-hmm. that. Um, just because it's like, oh my gosh, you're it's. Like I, I hope I can go into Battlefront once they launch, and like they have all of the maps, the campaign, all that stuff. I can be like, oh my gosh, do you did you see that thing in the background? I know what that is. Like, yeah, exactly, right? You know, and it's uh, that that's part of the thrill of it is discovering. It's just like watching the films that way. I think. Um, it's like when when I watch Star Wars now, yeah. I point out the weapons that I know. Like they're using the Stinger pistol. Do you see those guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, uh, and that's the thing, you know, you, you sort of get immersed in it. There's more details than you can possibly catch in, in one, uh, uh, one viewing of a Star Wars movie. And the games are like that too. I mean, even some of those little triggered events that could happen on a few of the maps in, uh, the 2015 game. Um, I didn't really know about a lot of those till I watched them in a YouTube video. Um, you know, the idea that I, I think it was, uh, if you're playing like Droid Run on the Jawa Refuge, if you were completely dominating, uh, if you're if you were the rebels and you were completely dominating the Imperials on that map, then a couple of Tie Fighters would be racing down the canyon, being chased by an X-wing, or, or there was a couple of little things like that yeah. that would trigger, and it wasn't. Uh, I can't remember the exact mechanism, but there, you know, there was these little things like that in there that um, each time those things happen, it makes the gameplay atmosphere different even if it doesn't actually affect the gameplay and that that's kind of exciting when they can do something like that that makes it feel like varied and random and and like a living universe yeah the same thing doesn't happen twice yeah exactly but it also isn't uh you know it also isn't something that demolishes your team you know (laughs) yeah it's happening off to the side you know it's it's not like uh uh, those those civilians will start breaking out guns and start defending them their city (laughs) i kind of feel bad for those civilians somebody should program them to actually do that one day (laughs) april fool's day this is our city (laughs) and we will defend it yeah so just turn around and open fire on the droids but uh uh, yeah (laughs) earlier you were mentioning uh christy golden um 
mm-hmm. her book Star Wars Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad um, yeah I, I really yeah. enjoyed it I felt it was slow it, had, it started really slow for me um, but mm-hmm. I think it added much more connection to the characters I was still rooting for the rebels the whole time but I was like oh, okay I can, <laughs> I can understand these characters yeah fin- finally yeah. a rebel guy on the show yeah, it was definitely. Um, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm reading it through a second time, sort of looking for different. Uh, um, almost trying to learn. I don't write fiction, but just trying to learn from sort of her narrative uh, impulse. And I mentioned to her on on Twitter after I finished it, um, and she's great about responding on Twitter, which I love. She is. Um, and uh, I, I said to her, you know, I was, I was really impressed by not to get too political, but I was really impressed by how. Um, I mean, the Empire are the bad guys. You know, I know some people, are, the Empire has much cooler toys, so it's very popular to sort of say, well, the rebels are terrorists, scum. You know, but <laughs> it's, um, at the same time, you know, the Empire's going around blowing up planets to scare people. You know, <laughs> so, so yeah. um, I, I feel comfortable calling them the bad guys. So we're playing a game where we're, we're going to be in the shoes of the bad guys. And here's the book sort of explaining who they are and their point of view. And one of the things that I thought was really well done um, by and large, the members of Inferno Squad seem like nice enough people um, for, you know, hardened soldiers. I mean, they, they have a job to do. Um, but there was also this sort of understanding that they were very smug about the fact that they knew the Empire was the better way. Yes. And they were not really open to learning from anyone else. And it had a real sort of, um, uh, I won't tie it to modern politics. Let's say it had a really colonial vibe. You know, the idea that... Um, you know, these Spaniards and French and English are going to come to the new world and, and uh, tell these people, you know, our way of living is better than yours and you'd better conform. And there was definitely sort of a, a quiet strain of that through the book. It's not hitting you over the head, but Aiden Versio knows that Vardos is better off in the Empire and these rebels don't get that and they're wrong. And yeah, she's it's... not willing to hear their point of view too much. And, uh, it's it's annoying because like I love hearing other people's point of view. Like even if I disagree with, like I want to hear mm-hmm. your thoughts. Like wh- why do you think this thing? But like she's just like, no, we are the way, the truth, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we know what's best for you now. Come to the come to the dark side, which we think is the light side. Yeah, totally. And it, it's there's um there's a certain lack of. Uh, empathy for other people that are different or have been raised differently. Um, I live in Toronto, um, Canada, which is one of the most multicultural cities on the planet. And uh, we have our problems, you know, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it is one of those things where you you look at this, um, there's people in my life I've known that have an attitude maybe similar to Aiden Versio's. And it's not that you don't like them, maybe it's a family member or something. And um, But... They're, they're very rigid in their set of beliefs and they're not willing to entertain the idea that other people could be happy living differently. And, uh, and I thought that Chris, you know, Christy Golden did a really nice job of portraying them as interesting and sympathetic characters. You're kind of rooting for her to, uh, you know, overcome that, that sense of failure she has around her father, you know, and you yeah. know, she, she's always trying to impress the guy and, uh, he's never impressed by anything, you know. Which, like, um, you can so, relate to as yeah, a human being, yeah. which is like it's perfect. But then you're like, but then then she starts saying these things like, oh my gosh, like she's just. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Like, you know, there, there's relatable points, and and I do think that sort of uh, 
speaks to the fact that, you know, I mean, human beings are complicated. And, uh, and I think it was a, a really nice way to, I, I do think Christy Golden had a, a tough one. And I think also, uh, Mitch Dyer and the other writers. Yes. Um, they're going to have had a, a hard time. It's a tough one, you know? Um, and I will say, you know, especially in today's modern political climate, there's, you know, everybody's maybe, or a lot of people are a little bit worried about the rise of tyranny and, um, and youth embracing tyranny. And now you've got a game where, you know, one of the most beloved properties of all time and we're playing as the bad guy. It's almost bad timing. (laughs) As much as I'm excited to play it, it's a, you know, it's, it's almost a, a, um, so I think that'll be an interesting thing too. We'll, we'll have to see how the story plays out. And, uh, Um, you know, I don't think by the end of it, I'm going to be, uh, rooting for the empire too much but i might be rooting for so yeah uh, on twitter there was a uh, paul kesslin um as a true or aurora their mm-hmm. uh, their pictures on twitter are both blue so i get those two confused um, <laughs> um yeah. john uh, john stanley and then alan frank mm-hmm. um and then like a couple of random people as well we were all on this like probably like 40 tweet um thread of, of gifts like mm-hmm. it was hilarious and like john stanley and i are rooting for the uh, rebels and then uh paul kesslin and alan uh, alan frank are uh, imperial guys so we're just like down with the imperial tyranny <laughs> um but one thing is like uh, in regards to the the campaign i was like i am a rebel boy through and through but i will even as i'm mowing down rebels with my machine guns <laughs> as item versio i will still be rooting for the rebels yeah <laughs> yeah totally right um and i, th- I think that's it it's uh, star wars i mean because it's a fantasy it allows you to dress up as the bad guys and the bad guys in star wars are fun i mean yeah uh darth maul darth vader grievous um you know, right down to the individual stormtroopers and all their different gear. I mean, the first time I ever saw a biker scout, I was nine years old, and I was just like, "That's the coolest looking stormtrooper yet." You know, yeah. it was. Uh, um, so, you know, the, the bad guys have great toys in Star Wars. Like they, they've yeah. got, and they've st- got all the cool bits. So. Uh, and Star Wars does something very unique in film. Like when it first started, it showed both perspectives. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to see your main character, which is Luke, uh, Han, Leia. But then you also got to switch to Darth Vader to see what they were doing. Like before, it was like always yes. the good guys trying, um, in ignorance, trying to defeat these um, these bad guys. But now mm-hmm. you as the viewer know what the bad guys are doing. So you're like in this very interesting thing like, oh no, what's going to happen? You see these things from the, the Imperial's point of view as well as the... Um, the rebels uh, from a certain yes, point exactly. of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's such a fascinating thing to, to watch in the movies because it, um, at the same time, it doesn't really humanize the bad guys that much. Like when I'm thinking about the big ones, like, like Vader discussing things with the emperor, um, they both clearly have plans. They both clearly have wants. Um, Vader is put in his place sometimes, but it's, um, yeah, you're you're watching them, and they're still real characters. They're, they're not just completely generic mustache twirling villains. Yeah, um, they still have goals. And um, and a friend of mine years ago, when we went to see Phantom Menace, um, 
uh, it came back out. I can't remember the reason why. Maybe it was when it was in 3D. But um, one of the things that he pointed out about Darth Maul, which has always stuck with me, um, shout out to Adam Swinborne, who said this, but uh, about um, Darth Maul in Phantom Menace has almost no voice lines. And George Lucas put in the perfect moment for, you know, a, a typical James Bond villain speech. Um, when Qui-Gon is kneeling behind the energy bearer, barrier and Darth Maul is just pacing back and forth like a, like a caged animal, that's the moment when in most movies, Darth Maul would give Here's some Here's my elaborate to, plan. Yeah, here's why I'm fighting you. Here's, here's what I'm going to do to you. Here's our plan so you can go and undo it. And that's the moment when that always happens in movies. But George Lucas didn't do it. And instead, it made Darth Maul so much scarier. And uh, um, I think, you know, because he was there on a mission and it was single-minded and he wasn't talking to them. He was just going to kill them as fast as he could. And uh, I, you know, I'm a guy who loves the prequels. Um, people call me an apologist. Um, you know, like I say, I wrote 500 tweets of cool things in the Star Wars prequels. The one, one thing and the whole thing I would change is not even Jar Jar. I would change killing off Darth Maul in Phantom Menace. I know he comes back in Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, I don't think he should. I, w- I, I love Darth Maul, but I think his... Like, I love seeing more of Darth Maul, but his his character, I think, had a, a specific arc uh, that was good where they left it in the prequels. Like, I didn't like how they brought him back in the Clone Wars, and then in the Rebels, they kill him again, and Obi-Wan's the guy to do it. Like, he should be, mm-hmm. but he should have been killed right off. See, I, I kind of think what they should have done was um, kept him around for all three prequel movies, so that when... Anakin becomes the new Darth. It had a bigger impact. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I like about him is, you know, that that little bit in the hangar on Naboo near the end of Phantom Menace, the doors open and he's standing there and he takes his hood down, pulls out the double bladed lightsaber. It's such a great gotcha moment. There's so much happening in the movie. Padme's got plans. The Gungans are going to fight the droids on the planes. There's all these things happening. And then, Darth Maul shows up. Oh crap! We forgot about that guy, you know. And uh, yeah. you know, it's hard to watch it again after you've seen it a hundred times and have that sense of surprise. But when it first came out, it was like, oh, you know, oh snap, here he is. Um, I think he would have been a great boogeyman for Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And you could still have a Dooku as a fallen Jedi politician, propped up leader of the Separatists. You could still have a character like that without making him a Sith. Um, but I think it would have been much more interesting if. Darth Maul was sort of a Mephistopheles character goading him or, you know, pushing this Jedi into uh, doing these these bad acts, sort of as a devil on his shoulder type of character. And then every once in a while pop out and kill some Jedi and scare everybody. You know, <laughs> you know I think he just would have been a... I think it was sort of a missed opportunity. In, in, uh, um, but at the same time, something else I've noted in that big Twitter thread... Um, the other thing that's interesting about how George Lucas approached the villains, and again, I think why people are so excited to see them in Battlefront 2, um, is if you look at you know, Darth Maul is scary and you know, has a scary face, and, uh, you know, um, and he's uh, very dangerous with the Force and with a lightsaber. And then you have Dooku, Darth Tyrannus, who's 
you know, sort of elegant and uh, regal in his bearing. And then you have Grievous, who's this cyborg monster. And I think when you add up all three of those, those are Darth Vader. Because he yeah. has all of those traits. And so what George Lucas essentially did was he t- took Darth Vader and said, break him into three. Those are the three villains of the prequels. You know, and, and in a way, Darth Vader is sort of a culmination of the people that, that uh, Palpatine was uh, gathering around him. He sort of took pieces of them and cobbled together Vader. You know, in a symbolic way. I don't mean in a, a literal he he wrote that down, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, kind of way, but uh, but I think that's one of the things that makes um, you know I don't want to jump into the cross era discussion too much, but you know that's one of the things that's interesting about the idea of Darth Vader fighting Grievous or you know or or Dooku once he's Vader. You know, it's um, uh, he kind of he has elements of all three of those guys in him, and um, he sort of relates to them in a a villainous way, you know? So, yeah. Um, so it's, it's an interesting visual anyway, seeing somebody like, you know, even the color palette for Grievous versus the color palette for uh, Vader. Vader is all black with a bit of red and Grievous is mostly sort of an off white with, you know, uh, he's got some green in his, his little gut sack there. And you know? <laughs> so, um, a and fine addition to my collection. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but I, I think that's a good spot to end the episode. Um, you, you talking about that made me think of um, one of my favorite podcast networks, um, Storywonk, also known as Pointing North Media. I don't know it. He does. I'll write it down. He does a series called Story and Star Wars, where he breaks down the Star Wars movies into narrative beats. Um, cool. And it is it is really good. It makes you look at the prequels and the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy in a new light because this guy knows story. Um, cool. Like his whole podcast network is about breaking down the stories of books, TV, film. Um, so right. I would definitely recommend that. I will put yeah, a, sure. a link in the description as well. That's great. Yeah, I've read a lot of Mike Klimo's, uh stuff from the uh, the Ring Theory. You know. Um, the uh, have you have you seen that at all? The uh, the Ring Theory of Star Wars. Um, I don't think so. It's um a guy named um Mike Klimo uh, uh wrote a, this huge sort of essay on a, a bunch of web pages that he he has there, and it's basically he uh, looks visually at the movie, and from a filming perspective, talks about um the narrative structure being a series of uh, nested rings, and so parallels in Phantom Menace um, are almost exactly backward to what happens in Return of the Jedi and then Attack of the Clones with Empire and, uh, and of course, Revenge of the Sith with Return of the Jedi. Or, sorry, with uh, screwed that up, with, with A New Hope. And um, so there's even moments where he'll point out that, um, you know, in Phantom Menace and in Return of the Jedi, at exactly, I forget how many minutes, but let's say eight minutes in, there's a hologram. And, uh, you know, it'll be the hologram of Darth Sidious in uh, Phantom Menace, and it's the hologram of Luke talking to Jabba in Return of the Jedi. And there's there's these things that happen in the films that are in no way possibly a coincidence um, that George Lucas did. And there's even, at the exact center point of Attack of the Clones, um, Anakin is standing on Padme's balcony looking at the clouds, and she wakes up 
comes out and speaks to him, the clouds literally have a yin yang symbol in the clouds. <laughs> and I, I've watched that movie a thousand times until he pointed out, I, I'd never noticed it. I went and put my, uh, I put my DVD back in. <laughs> oh yeah, it's there. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it's I the exact center point of the movie, you know? And so there's a lot of visual symbology that, that Mike Klimo has, uh, sort of uncovered with the, uh, with his ring theory. That's uh, it's quite a fascinating read. Get some cup of cocoa and curl up with that sometime. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh, thank you for reaching out and uh, bringing this great topic of the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's fascinating. Yeah. It, it was fun to have you on and uh, get a different perspective on uh, the prequels since you are such a big fan. Uh, that's all for this episode of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at SWBPodcast, Twitter.com slash SWBPodcast. You can find uh, Glendon on Twitter. That's right, um, at Flying Trilobite, which is also my Xbox username if you ever see me out there in, uh, in the Battlefront. Awesome. Our Patreon is uh, Patreon.com slash Podcast. We're still working on the details of our Patreon-exclusive show. Uh, but it will feature a deeper dive into Battlefront 2 once it releases. You can also support us through PayPal, paypal.me slash tie-dye-sheep, T-Y-E-D-Y-E-S-H-E-E-P. We have a Discord. A Discord will be in the description of the podcast, so definitely make sure you try and uh, join that because it is a super fun place to just geek out about Battlefront. Um, Awesome. You can leave us a review on iTunes and enter our Battlefront 2 giveaway. We're about to open that up uh, to everyone, but if you do leave a review, you get uh, five more entries into that than uh, a normal uh, a giveaway enter. All right, we have a YouTube channel, the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast on YouTube. Search that, and our uh, YouTube channel will come up. You can leave us a uh, leave us feedback through email. Podcast at gmail.com uh, also talk to us through there we, le- uh, we read all the emails uh, the tweets uh, the messages so if you want to uh, contact us in any way we have it's open um, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play or anywhere you find podcasts as always may the force be with you